George. That song holds a special place for Cindy and I, the first church that we served as pastor, a little mission in New York. That was their favorite song. It's always, think of that wonderful group of people. What a great song. Well, this is the last message in the study of Abraham's life. Man, what a life this guy had. And next week, we're going to start a new study in the book of First Peter, going verse by verse. As we look at the message of hope that's throughout that whole book of First Peter. But I encourage you to stand in God's honor as we look at Genesis 25 verses 1 through 10 as our focal text this morning. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak. Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Edom. The descendants of Eden were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Lumanites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor. Boy, this is a tough. Hanuk, Beta, Melda. <laughs> All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. In the field of Ephraim, son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this man known as God's friend. Well, Father, he certainly had his issues. You know, we've looked at that through these weeks as we have investigated his life, Lord. And now we come to the end. And Father, he died full of life. He didn't just coast to the end. And I thank you for that. And I pray you guide us, Father, as we take time to look at this account that describes his last days. And Father, I, just speak to us, Father. May we not just exist. May we live. Because your word says that you've come that we might have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. And so, Father, just guide us in the time that remains. Thank you for leading us in worship of you. Because, God, we want you to be the centerpiece and we're the audience. And Father, we're just clapping for you and celebrating you and singing to you and we just want to please you, and, and that's true with this message too. Father, may our hearts be tuned into you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Have you ever thought how you want to live your last days, your final couple of years? Of course, none of us know when that is. It might be a lot closer than we ever dreamed. Uh, might be like the guy who said, you know, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather, peacefully in his sleep, not like the passengers who were in the car with him. 
you know, just that, that sense of, of, of peace that, that is so elusive. It's what God calls us to, to live not only with peace, but with a sense of joy. On one tombstone, it said, died at 45, buried at 85. May we not just coast along with the days that God has given us. It says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May mummification not set in just because there's been a lot of years that have already passed in our lives. But may we live it to the full. Um, I just found some examples of different ones who live this way. Uh, The Little House books, which we loved reading to the kids and you know, we watched uh, the TV show when it was out with Michael Landon and, and all of that. And Laura Ingalls Wilder didn't write her first book until she was 64 years old in that series of books. Benjamin Franklin signed the Declaration of Independence at 70 years of age. Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize at 69 years of age. A guy named Peter Mark Regett, um was a scientist who had a passion for science. So when he turned 70, they forced him out because they said he was too old to keep on with his work. And instead of pouting, he decided he would go after another passion he had, which had to deal with finding or creating a book that has words that are like other words. And so after three years, he published his book known as Roger's Thesaurus, and until he was 90 years old, he updated it every year. So it was a guy that worked to the very end. In 1999, at the age of 89, this lady named Doris Haddock walked 3,200 miles from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness for campaign finance reform. They called her Granny D. And she walked uh, 10 miles a day at 89 years old. Took her over 14 months to complete her walk. She even ran for Congress in 2004. And I looked at that at 94 to run for Congress. Um, and then Anna Mary Robertson Moses, which that probably gives a little clue that last name, Moses, affectionately known as Grandma Moses, who died at the age of 101. Of course, we can't help but think of Miss Ruth and her paintings that she's painted for so many years. Um, she didn't begin painting until she was 76 years old. She spent her time working on a farm. She got arthritis and couldn't do the same work. And so she began to paint. And so then over the next 25 years, she painted every day more than a 1,000 paintings with much beloved art. You see, life's more than just a collection of years. It's an active participation day by day. What is the the natural way of of life for for many? And it starts out with narcissism. Uh, The idea of narcissism goes back to the Greek gods and this Greek god named Narcissus who, well, to be quite honest with you, he thought he was it. He thought he was a hot stud. He thought he was good looking. He thought he was so good looking, it's all he thought about. And it's all he talked about. And it's all he was about was himself. 
Maybe some of you have known some of his brothers or sisters. <laughs> but anyway, Narcissus, um, as the legend goes, there was another Greek god by the name of Nemesis who said, boy, this guy's full of himself. And so he brought him to a pool of water where he caught his own reflection. And as Narcissus looked at his own reflection, he immediately fell in love. And it says that he fell in the water and drowned. So it can start with this idea of narcissism. It's all about me. Everything I have, everything I do, it's all about me. And there's some people that live with that kind of attitude. I paid my dues. I've already done my part. Man, I'm going to coast on through. And the next step, we live that way, is pessimism. Well, I'm over the hill. Nobody cares. I'm going to quit. My past is meaningless. My future is bleak. Someone said a pessimist can hardly wait for the future so that he can look back with regret. And, and, you know, there's that picture. And the truth of the matter is, do we not realize that at any time God can take us to eternity? We don't know when he's going to take us, but he's more than capable to take us at any moment. The fact that we're here means we're here for something. We're here for something. If we continue on that line, it leads to fatalism. The idea of fatalism, there's no purpose It's all negative. It's all the sense of despair. And it's all miserable. And so we find many who just seem to be waiting for their funeral. We'll just coast along with those years. And you know, be like the guy who said, Man, I'm going to die any moment, so I won't even buy green bananas. You know, that that picture of, of just pessimism. That's not Abraham. And I I want to look at Abraham. This is amazing. You look at a guy at 137 years old. His love died. Sarah, 127. And, And we know that when they took off and they left on their journey, he was 75, she was 65. And it doesn't say exactly when they got married. They were together a long time. And they shared life together. And it was a beautiful thing. And when she died, it would have been very easy for him just to fall into despair and into depression and and to fall into this idea of of fatalism. Well, you know, life just stinks. And his son, who had moved out, you know, he found him a, a good woman, a good wife. And so here he is, you know, without the companionship of his son day to day, now that he's married with Rebecca. And his wife is gone. And if there's anybody, I mean, he could have been a poster for despair. Just forget about it. But that is not what happened. By this time, he was over 140 because when Isaac got married, he was 140. So I don't know exactly how old he is, but I'd say he had some tread off the tire by 142 or or so somewhere in there um, for sure. And just looking at our text, we... Learn about him. Abraham didn't sit around too long. He started thinking about romance. I'm going to go pull me some flowers. I don't know what the candy was like in the Hebrew days, but, you know, I'm going to court a little bit. And the result of that was what? He took another wife, Keturah. (laughs) That rascal wasn't about to spend his last days alone. And he found this woman that, that just energized him. The, the, the love was flowing. The electricity was flowing. 
that they were just enjoyed each other's company. Then they ended up married. Life was good. And they held hands and they smooched. And, well, and then one day, Keturah leaned over to Abraham and said, Honey, guess what? We're going to have a baby. <gasps> oh, he could have said, well, I'm 142 years old, honey. I don't know about this. But that's not what happened. They had a baby. And then you know what happened? Sometime after that, Sarah leaned over to him again and said, Honey, we're going to have a baby. And then do you know what happened? Sometime later, a few years later, she leaned over again and said, We're going to have a baby. This happened six times. Over 142 years old. He had six more boys. If they had basketball back then, he would have had a team with one sub. I mean, we're talking his life was not over. He was back in the saddle. He was a husband. He was a father. He knew what it was like to help with the little ones. He knew what it was like to chase a toddler around. He knew what it was like to help a young boy become a man. No, he didn't didn't sit around just thinking about himself. Man, he was involved in the lives of a family. I also want you to notice uh, here, you know, on purpose, I tried to stay away from all those hard names there. (laughs) Those kids that were born. I had a friend of mine, he used to always say, man, those words. He said, I just get to them and I say, hard word, hard word. But you look at those names, those six names, and it talks about the children that they had. And then he comes down to verse 5. and He says, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. While he was still living, he didn't hold on to his money. Tight-fisted. He didn't talk about, I'm going to take this and just use it for me and Keturah. We're going to tour the world or whatever. He was thinking about his family. Now, I realize he was a very wealthy guy. The majority of us don't fall into that category. But it doesn't mean we can't share what we have with those that we love. And that is exactly what he did. He shared with those kids those little ones as they grew and he loved them and he invested in them and he took some of his wealth and he gave them gifts. He was connected to their lives. Um, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 14. He talks about he's ready to visit the Corinthian church and he doesn't want to be a burden to them he says because I'm really not after just your stuff I want to be connected to you and then he gives this phrase at the end of verse 14 after all children should not have to save up for their parents but parents for their children he said it's a beautiful thing when a parent's been able to Put away some money and be able to share it with his kids, with her kids. And there, there's, there's the beauty of that. And that was the heart of Abraham as he was willing to share while he was still alive.
I, I think it's interesting here in Genesis 25 as it talks about his death. It says that Abraham, verse 8, breathed his last. And he died at a good old age. Yeah, I guess he did, 175. <laughs> An old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. I love that. Full of years. In the Hebrew, you could also say satisfied. He died satisfied. He didn't die a grumpy old man who cared only about himself. But because he had a passion for his family and a passion for his God, he was satisfied. He lived that example full of life that made the difference. And when it came time for his death, he got to see Sarah again, who he'd loved and who he'd missed. And, you know, tonight, it's interesting, I'm going to preach a message on a guy in the Bible, a king. It says when he died, no one missed him. No one regretted his death. You know, it's been said that we're preaching our funeral now. And the truth of the matter is, um, who we are now is who will be remembered. How we live now. How we invest now. And I know you're like me. You don't want to be remembered as the old grouch. You don't want to be remembered as the one who's always beating people down. You want to be remembered as somebody that cared about people. And that people loved and respected. And I don't think at that time of gathering, at that funeral time, there's, boy, he was, no, they were celebrating his life because he was satisfied because he walked with God and he loved his family. He was a real deal. Just a couple of truths here as I wrap this thing up. The first, uh, be faithful to remember that each day offers opportunities to stay young at heart. We have an opportunity with everything we face to face it in God's strength or to leave God out and feel that sense of fatalism. There is always hope when God is involved. There is always one who loves us and one that we can run to and one that gives us strength. And we need to surround ourselves with the people we're closest to that have that kind of love for life and the Lord. That, I don't mean you close yourself off where you're not connected to people who aren't believers, but those who are closest to you. Because obviously we, we, God calls us to, to build relationships and to share Christ. But those closest to us that we love the most, they, they need to be that upbeat, Love for Christ, um, that, that makes a, a difference to have those people in our lives. Um, I remember a, a number of years ago, a dear friend of mine went to a Bible college, Fruitland Baptist Institute, and he had a friend near the college who owned a cabin. And he let Jim stay in the cabin because he would just use it for vacationing. And Jim said there was this man across the street at the time he was there, uh, when he first got there, he was 97 years old, and he was a volunteer fireman. Wow. Can you imagine? And um, he lived to be 101, and I remember what Jim told me. The guy cut his own grass, 
And uh, when he turned 100 for his birthday, he went out and he bought a computer. He asked Jim to come over and to set the computer up and to show him how to use the Internet at 100 years old. This was a guy that hadn't given up. He was still living. He was still looking ahead. That was the heart of Abraham. And, and that's how I think God's called us to live. And it says of Babe Ruth, we remember all the home runs that he hit and his, his pitching. But what we don't talk about a lot was he was also the king of strikeouts. And I asked him one day about all those strikeouts. And he said, all you can do is just keep swinging. And that's what we're called to do is to keep swinging. Uh, second truth here, be diligent to refuse to give up. One guy said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? <laughs> you may feel alone. You may believe you're totally alone. But be alive. Just keep swinging. Uh, may God give us strength to invest ourselves in others. To live for others as we live for Him. That, that he, he may keep us strong so uh, that we learn to sing instead of to whine as the days go by. May we be quick to give and to forgive instead of just to jump to conclusions. May we find ways to live for others and bring smiles instead of frowns. That was Abraham's life. I think it's great. As we come to the end here, he was not a perfect man. We looked at his blemishes as we studied his life. But I love the way it ends. It ends with that sense of hope. And that should be true for all of us who know Jesus. Jesus provides hope. You know, sometimes when you read a novel, it's like all you can do is you... Oh, man, don't do that. You're going to make that decision. Things are going to go bad here. Don't don't walk here. Don't, don't do that. But the great thing is that sometimes you just want to turn to the end and see how it ends. And, of course, we can do that in this book. This book has people doing all kinds of crazy things, leaving God out, um, all kinds of painful decisions. But we get to the end of the book, we see that God creates a new heavens and a new earth, and that Jesus is on the throne, and things are as they were always meant to be. And we need to live with the end of the book in mind. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for Abraham. Um, Father, thank you for his last days, Father. May we live a life. May we not just... uh, coast along, Father, with a sense of despair, but may we remember, Father, that you are victorious and we belong to you, so that means we too shall be victorious, and Father, just to live with that kind of zeal and that love for life, because people need you, and and so, Father, as we come to this part of the service, uh, Father, maybe there's some here who... Father, have gone down that path of, you know, it's it's about me and you know, kind of down about that. And of course, the end of that is, oh man, everything's wrong, just terrible. But Father, that's not the path you want us to take. You want us to know that there is hope, and that's why you came, and that's why you died for us. 
that's why there is hope. And I pray this morning, Father, that we would turn to you. Maybe someone here needs to just stop the fighting and just say, okay, God, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to turn to you. Forgive me of my sin and give me strength, Father, to follow you, the living God. And Father, I just pray you do that work. I don't know what you're up to, but we want you to move in our lives, God. Uh, whether it's to come to an altar to pray or come before your people to share a decision that's made or, or just make a decision right where we are to go forward for you. Father, either way, we need to follow you. So may you have your way as we stand and sing. May we follow you. In Christ's name, amen.